This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Cat One Academy coach Jake Britton. He discusses his transition from academy player to academy coach, as well as how home practice has changed over the last 20 years. I hope you enjoy. Right, with me today I've got Jake Britton. Uh, Jake, if you just want to tell everyone kind of who you are and what you do at the moment and go from there. I'm Jake Britton. I'm currently working as a football coach um, with Southampton Football Club in the academy Um, and then like a lot of people in the coaching business picking up stuff where I can elsewhere, working in college programs, doing uh, local teams um, and trying to make some money coaching. No easy task. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, I guess the the best place to start is kind of why football? Why as a kid did you lean towards football? What gave you an interest in it? Um, I think straight away it was almost thrust upon me with my family. Um, I think it was football or, or going to sit down and, and sit in the corner and get lost. Um, brothers were into it. Dad was into it. Um, so it's probably what I've grown up with. I have three older brothers. Um, they were all playing and enjoying it. So you want to be like your older brothers, don't you? So went into it that way. Um, and yeah, started playing for my older brother's team. It's just blown up since then. So obviously, you said that it kind of thrust upon you. Was there a particular team thrust upon you during that, or was that? Um, yeah, definitely. I, my um. My old man is a big Chelsea fan, so um, that team was thrust upon me, um, which hasn't been a bad thing. Growing up in the Chelsea era of Roman Abramovich has been quite a nice team to support. Not so much now, but um, yeah, it, it was Chelsea or nothing else really. I had an old brother who bounced around from a few teams, but was always Bristol City fan. So my family are Bristol City because of the local area and then um, Chelsea pretty much. What about in terms of locally with like teams you played for and stuff? Uh, what age I, did you start playing? Uh, teams I played for, I started when I was about four. Um, I played for my old brother's team and it was, I was, was still on the sideline going, I want to be out there playing and tried everything I could to join in the sessions. Coach eventually let me and I did okay and they needed players. So I was playing for Longwell Green. Um, big club in Bristol and yeah just followed on since then and then I think the FA brought in some rules you couldn't play two years up and stuff so I ended up just finding an age group of a local team where I could go and play in my own age um, and then it just carried on from there I showed didn't go into an academy straight away um, probably back then there wasn't too much going on at those younger age groups but went through and ended up probably about 12 going into academy stuff but all through that period I was playing two or three times a week for whichever team would have me okay so how did you uh, how old your brother compared to you uh two years above me okay so you're playing two years above how did you find that in terms of like starting out and stuff with playing two years above did there any have any effects um I think technically it probably limited me 
somewhat. Um, I didn't start straight away having loads of the football. It was, okay, you're smaller than everyone, you got to go and, go and fight. And that's how you're going to be able to play the game is go and have a ruck with someone, really. Um, I had, I've got another two older half-brothers than that, so they were in their 20s when I was six and seven. So having that environment was, my playing environment straight away was going and trying to have to compete with lads who are physically stronger than you. And then my practice environment was playing with my older, older brothers in the garden where you're playing against a 25-year-old and you're five, all you do is try and kick lumps out of their shins, don't you? Um, and that probably dictated the way I played when I was older. Um, I was always aggressive and tough in my defending. Probably lacked a little bit in terms of technique and um, the nicer side of the game, we like to call it. Okay, so obviously playing with your older ones, you're quite competitive and stuff with them. Yeah. Um, did that carry on? through your, like, as you obviously got a little bit older and moved away from those younger age groups, did that carry on? Were you still really competitive with your older brother? Uh, older, older brothers is always the same. You're always competing for everything, really. Um, my uh, sibling, who is my full brother, who's two years older than me, um, we were pretty close. He loved football, but wasn't pursuing football in terms of career or anything. Um, so there wasn't, direct competition in that but he's still two years older than you and it, you know kids football that makes a difference so everything you're doing in the garden you want to want to beat each other and um, yeah there's that sibling rivalry in pretty much everything you do so no um, people like Michael Jordan for example I think yeah. he's one of three something like that and he kind of says a similar story in terms of the fact he got battered as a kid and that made him have that kind of drive to yeah I think I think I've seen some research in that you look at to sibling order, you get the older the older sibling is probably the one who gets a bit more time put into the academic side of things because there's two parents, one one child at that point, so you get a little bit more support in terms of your schoolwork and uh, speaking and just general little bits, whereas when you're the younger child, as soon as you can walk, you kind of get left to your own devices a little bit. You get left to entertain each other. So the academic side, like <laughs> so the academic side, you lose a little bit, but physically and probably lends itself more to sport that you get that challenge pretty much constantly. So the era of you, you say you're a Chelsea fan or dad's Chelsea fan, inflicted it on you. Players growing up that you remember who, who were the, uh, I think for, for me it's always Frank Lampard and John Terry were in their prime when I was more aware of football I obviously when you're you're four you you wear the shirts and you you know about it and you know one team's winning that's that's good if one team's losing that's bad but I think it's only until you get a little bit older where you start to realize okay he's good because he does this he's not so good because he does this um, and I think I'd, I'd always played as a centre midfielder, so I'd put my Lampard number eight on, or I played as a centre back where I put my John Terry shirt on. Um, and you run around thinking, yeah, I'm looking like Frank Lampard, look at me raking these runs, running up and down the pitch, probably not getting anywhere near the ball, but you think you're Frank Lampard. Um, and yeah, they, those two were probably the main ones, probably more so because it was 
position specific, but um, yeah, they were the two I really remember. And there was some others like Claude Makélélé. I remember that was huge. Him coming to Chelsea and going, look at this footballer. He is the only person in this group of footballers who plays this role and does this. Whereas now you see hundreds of fours and Claude Makélélé's. So I think there was a few like that. So in terms of your skill acquisition. Uh, as you said earlier on, you didn't probably spend too much time looking at specifically technical stuff. Is there anything that during maybe a game of Wembley or during a small-sided game, if you were playing with friends, that you would go, well, Frank Lampard does this, so I'm going to keep trying to do that? Yeah, I, I, um, I had a... So in my, the house I grew up in, I spent my early years in, we had a real long garden. Um, we had It was probably the width of a Lampard-side goal. And we managed to convince my mum and dad to get us an alarm side goal. So we had the goal and it was 1v1, pretty much me and my brother, most of the time. Um, and you, I, you end up just being tough, aggressive and brave because it's 1v1. You're in front of this massive goal. If you don't stop him scoring, he's going to be winning 12-0. So you're chucking your face at things. You're trying to close line in to stop him scoring when he runs past you. Um, so you get that 1v1 element in terms of defending. I think as an attacking point of view, in that environment, which was constant, throughout the summer we'd be out there every evening until 9, 10 o'clock. I, was never, I couldn't ever run him. <laughs> He's two years older than me. I went particularly quick anyway. Couldn't ever run past him. So the element of skills, moves, turns, that sort of thing, don't really get it's trying to shift half a yard and smash it in the back of the net because you've got this closed pitch. If you try and bend something, put it too wide, it goes in the hedge, goes over the fence, just got to try and smash it in the goal. Um, so I think I've probably developed 1v1 defending pretty well and then just being able to just strike a ball hard and fast. And would you say that translates, obviously we'll get on to this later, um, not playing as much as you used to now, but would you say that translates to how you've played as you've grown up? Would you say that that's kind of the kind of player you were, a good 1v1 defender and then able to distribute either over distances? or sort of Yeah, definitely. I think my my game was often I wasn't the most flash and probably someone who wouldn't stand out loads at a lower level, um, but could compete at a higher level just because I think general just desire and having that attitude that I don't want to get beat and I think that is something that probably took me to where I went um, in terms of academy football but I think as as I got older I think 12-ish I started to realise that there's probably more to it um, there's probably I need to add something else to my game rather than just thinking i got to go and win that ball um, and give it to someone else it was started to think a little bit more tactically and technically about what I was doing. I remember my brother still laugh about it now. I was horrific with my left foot. Couldn't kick it. Literally, straight leg. I had to move it with my arm and have a swing at it. Um, but after about three or four months, I like, oh, that's embarrassing actually. Like, they're all taking the <laughs> on me. So I just went away and just started kicking the ball with my left foot. And Unless you've got that purpose to why you're practicing you just get by without it um but then i probably realized that actually i might need my 
my standing foot for something else. And then I got, I wouldn't say good, but I, it was usable, which added probably something else to my game. So what's interesting is obviously, I think there's been a big disparity between when I was a kid and when you were a kid, you go out and play, 1v1 defending, 1v1 attacking, winning games, all that type of stuff. Whereas now, I think a lot of, particularly around practice, is your ball master and ball manipulations and stuff. What are your thoughts in terms of why those differences are there, if they're positive, or what are the positive, what are the negatives? I think now the whole... If you look at the two players who are believed to be the best players in the world, they're Ronaldo and Messi, and what you associate with Ronaldo and Messi is dribbling, is being on the ball, stepovers, using all, all these different skills that look really good. And I think more and more now we're in a position where lads want to be like that, so they're braver. Whereas I think when we probably grew up, it was more associated with winning um, and less so of looking good. I think the Barcelona era probably changed things where they really ramped up that style of play and I think that probably reflects in in what in individuals I see at all levels are braver to try things in terms of even if it's just trying things on their own in their back garden they'll probably be trying flicks and tricks rather than trying touch out your feet smash it in the top corner I think that's just the way things have shifted a little bit I think the way we grew up probably lent itself to more the English game whereas now it's probably shifting away from that I think the English game's changing for one but we as positively or no? Uh, I think so yeah I think if you're more touches of the ball getting more possession I think that's only going to lend itself to producing better players and probably more entertaining football so yeah I'd, I'd probably say it's positive I think there's still a little bit missing in terms of having boys being able to defend. And I think that's what you see a lot of coming from grassroots football into academy football. That next step is being able to compete, um, whether that's physically or just being able to defend in 1v1 situations or understand that you have to get the ball back and have that desire to get the ball back. I think desire is obviously quite a good word, something you speak about. What's interesting is you, a lot of the stuff you mentioned there is like I went out and wanted to hit it top ends or I went out, was embarrassed by my left foot and I went out and did it. Do you think that we're more, we have to dictate more now than we used to regarding that type of stuff? Yeah, I, th- I think in general, parenting's changed. Parenting is in control of everything now. Something that I find kind of concerning, I think, like regarding this is I think part of the reason we do it and I think it is a cultural thing I don't think it's just a parenting thing I think they're a portion of it but I think schools are the same I think, yeah you know we're, we're all guilty of it is is trying to protect the kids from like negative experiences so trying to say that uh we don't want this to happen because that will upset them yeah short term Whereas actually, I think if you look at some of the, well, some of the most driven and well-rounded and grounded 
people that I know, both like locally around here, but also in terms of nationally and that I look across, they've probably had some real horrible negative experiences that they've had to deal with. Yeah, you look at it, if you took some of the most successful people in the world in whatever industry, whatever whatever they're doing, they would have had setbacks, they would have found things tough, but they found a way around that. I think if you're constantly protecting kids from failure, from hurt, from negativity of whether that's from someone else trying to stop you doing what you're doing, anything like that, I think you probably stop them having the ability to grow and to deal with adversity. Um, they, they need it. Um, and I think we all do. I think there's probably times where we find things tough and we, we've got to just try and get through it. Um, but it's having the understanding and experience probably before that, like this feels like the end of the world at the moment, but actually it's probably not. You'll, you'll get through it. It's your building blocks for life, not just sport or football or anything. It's, have you got the ability to do something yourself and find things hard and keep going with it? Um, I think it's probably too easy to quit um, nowadays, whatever, in whatever you're doing. I heard a quote recently, I can't remember who it was by, but the quote that came back was um, the role of a mum or a parent, dad as well, um, but his mum in this particular context is to slowly and intermittently disappoint your child basically I think working on the pretense that if you consistently do that you consistently disappoint them and they have to fend more and more for themselves then they get the ground and they'll need when they're an adult so it starts off with you have to hold their hand when they're crossing the road and as a three or four year old or whatever you have to hold their hand yeah. and then one day you go no I'm not going to do that anymore and it'll probably upset the kid initially yeah. it's going to upset him going like mum's why is she not on my ass this is mental um, and probably it might upset him a little bit but then slowly they learn how to cross the road without you holding their hand so you know that if they end up walking to school or something when they're seven or eight they know how to do it I think like it's called obviously rocky road approach in terms of the sporting context uh, but I think that there's something to be said in that and kind of your parents giving you more and more ownership, letting you fail at stuff and kind of trying to teach you the morals behind the stories. It's a good debate. It's, um, I don't know what the answer is, but don't give a child enough. They they end up failing and not feeling like they're supported. Don't give them or give them too much. They take it for granted and end up failing anyway. So if, I think there's a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. Interesting to see what that is. I know, like out in the states, one thing they do in the NFL, uh, like the Dallas Cowboys, famous with the star, they make their first year pros or rookies, as they call them, um, earn the star. So they're not allowed to have basically the badge of the team until they've done or shown certain aspects of yeah. Dallas Cowboys behaviour. So. I've, I've always think that's quite an interesting one how could you do that with the kids is it on their kit that maybe they don't have the Southampton badge in this context or you know if other teams Chelsea badge Tottenham badge Yeovil badge whoever it is and they have to earn it yeah and then you still although you're giving them kit you're still grounding them in some context to you've got to earn this um, 
I think that's one reason why that like you said about computer games are so addictive is that in order to get past one level yeah. or to according to get to the end of the game you've got to get the big boss you've got to get through all these levels and it's a real clever way of enticing people in at the start you think this is easy I'm going to be able to do it and then when you start failing you keep going back and back and back um, I guess there's a way can you do that in real life in terms of making kids want to yeah. keep coming back and show that resilience that they do in a virtual world but in a in, you know, <laughs> in reality yeah basically it's, um, it's a funny one uh, I found it even when when I was a child playing um, and even now to some degree if I'm on a night out with my missus if I'm on a night out with my mates and I see someone who I used to know probably as a teenager um, bump into them the first thing they ask is oh, that's football going who, who are you playing for and it just consumes your whole world where you become less of a person who has all these attributes and you become a oh, he, he he is a footballer um, and then it's, as you take that identity away what that does and how you can deal with that and that's one of the biggest challenges we've got keeping it's brilliant that your son at eight your son at nine, ten, whether it's sixteen, whether it's eighteen, brilliant that they're in a football club and they're they're a footballer. But how? What are they, what else are they? Because you can't just be a footballer for the rest of your life. It's a ten, fifteen year window um, that you'll be a professional footballer. And if you think about it, footballers week they'll train for a couple of hours and then go back in the afternoon and have a kip and then maybe do a bit of gym work, but that's four hours of a 24-hour day that you've got. There's got to be some other components to your life, um, which is why having that whole picture of a, a person is, is, I think, is probably one of the most important things that we can do as coaches developing young players. So what's interesting is, I actually did my dissertation on that when I was yeah. at uni, on the transition away from sport. And I spoke to... Um, couple of people during that dissertation and one of them actually got injured as he got a little bit older um, and he said that he hated Saturdays every week yeah so quiz him on it and he was like why he said for that reason that he's known as a footballer and because he's injured he can't play football so therefore what does what's he meant to do on a Saturday a footballer that can't play football on a Saturday yeah I had a, a similar thing so I tore my cruciate uh 15 um, whilst I was at Swindon Town and I was, I was doing pretty well and enjoying it and progressing um, and tore my cruciate so luckily they supported me really well got me an operation for the NHS but it was done quickly where some people have to wait 5-6 months whereas I got mine within a month or two um, but then spent the next half a year to a year in rehab um I wasn't pretty much allowed to do any football, wasn't really allowed to kick a ball. So I went from being this academy player in the environment of training four times a week, playing football for the school, doing everything I could, to suddenly, right, you're not doing that four times a week. You've got these hours back to yourself. You can't go on the Astro at lunchtime and play football with your group of mates. You've got, you've got to find something else to do. And I think that's where it kind of shifted. I almost lost a group of mates because I couldn't spend the social hours at school with them because they were all playing football. 
I couldn't bring myself to stand on the sideline and watch 20 of my mates play headers and volleys and have a well of a time while I stand and watch. So you almost have to shift and go, okay, what, what else am I? What, what else can I do? And I think that was probably something that at the time was tough and it damaged probably a lot of family relationships when I was a teenager, um, going through puberty and all that side of things and then losing your identity and coming out and going, I got to find myself again. Um, at that point came out of academy football. Once I got back fit, it was a few months, right? Go and get fit, show us how good you are. And as much as an injury is an excuse, I just wasn't good enough at that point. Um, for a variety of reasons, probably mentally my head probably wasn't right and found it tough that coming back from an injury like that, well, not naturally physically the most fit. So go and compete against these lads who have been playing in your spot for the last year. Um, it's quite a big gap to catch up, but came out of that and just wanted to play really. So kind of get almost a little bit of that identity back where just go and play football. That's, that's what everyone thinks you are. That's what you've you've wanted to be for the last six years of trying to work to be a footballer. Um, get a little bit back and went and played college football and played men's college football at 16 and got a lesson in what the other side of football is about and trying to not have to deal with the nicey-nicey of academy football and deal with Big centre centre forward trying to knock your head off as you go up for a header, um, and it probably motivated me a little bit more to work towards the nicer side of the game, the academy football, nice pitches. You're actually playing, you're enjoying the football rather than having to have a ruck with someone who's two foot taller than you and angrier than you. <laughs> so at twelve, you're at Longwell. Uh, so I bounced around a few clubs so 12 um, at that point I was at Avon Athletic okay. um, we had a really good team we were playing local Hannah Minor, um, Hannah Minor, Avon Youth League football in Bristol we were the best team we won everything um, at that point we had eight players from that group go off to academies um, one to Man United um, the rest were Around they were going Swindon, Portsmouth, Yeovil, Bristol Rovers, Bristol City. From what you're saying now, I'm assuming the Premier League didn't have that hour and a half. Yeah, no, no. At that right. point, it was yeah. Where, where'd you fancy playing? I think it was loosely involved. Um, I think it was at that point. I think it was an hour and forty-five. Um, I seem to remember someone saying, "Yeah, we've got an extra hour on him because I was forty-five minutes away from Swindon." Yeah. Um, so, so what age did you go to Swindon? So, so you, about twelve. About twelve, yeah. and you were there till sixteen. Yeah, so I spent a year. I, I don't know why I had this weird thing that I committed to Avon, which was just a local grassroots team. But um, it was about a month into the season, and I think I, I was devastated to let my manager down, let my group of mates down if I left at that point. So it was kind of agreed that. Swindon Town came in for me first and wanted me and offered to sign me but I said I'd see the season out and then join them at the end um, while the season was going on Bristol City came in and a few other clubs Portsmouth and stuff were looking um, then towards the end of the season kind of went well actually I might 
I have to make a decision now. Um, and probably the local football wasn't what I needed at that point. And I was probably needed that extra little bit of challenge. Um, and then for some weird reason, I chose Swindon over hometown club of Bristol City and a team that my family support. So I guess, obviously, you had a decision to make in terms of what what club to go to. You mentioned Dad's obviously a very keen football fan. Older brothers and stuff are very yeah. keen football fans. Was there any pressure on their part in terms of starting academy football or where to go in academy football because obviously that is something that can happen in yeah I think my family brilliant in terms of support in everything I've done really um, I think what there wasn't loads of pressure to go in I think there was a pressure to make the best of the opportunity um, and I think that was probably something I didn't quite understand at that point um, going in what, I didn't understand why can't I play for so and so on a Friday Friday night and then play on a Saturday that's what I've done ever since I was four years old I played back to back I've done all that sort of stuff and I probably didn't quite understand that side of things at that point um, then once I went in that was probably where the, the clash was I think mainly probably my dad um, it was difficult to spent a lot of time in the car together <laughs> as a teenager spending loads of time with your dad there's always going to be clashes I think when I was in there I probably had there was more of an expectation for from my dad for me to be the best I could be and perform the best I could be and it was it was good while I was playing I think there was great support it wasn't too much pressure it was yes and Probably weren't very good today. <laughs> well, why weren't you very good? Oh, I don't know, Dad. Oh, all right then. Um, or it was oh, I did really well today. Yeah, um, and that was that was as far as it went. Really, there wasn't. We probably chat a little bit about so and so did this. I should have done this when this happened. And it was probably that was as far as the detail went. Um, but I think once I got injured, my mindset kind of changed a little bit, and then. Once I was trying to get back, I think that was a really tough period where I was a teenager and kind of like, oh, I don't care. I don't want to listen to anyone. Um, trying to get back fit and having that frustration of, oh, I'm not as good as I once was and I'm trying to catch up and not as confident as I once was. Um, mistakes hit me a lot harder. Um, but that was just, a, I think that was the nature of being injured. And I think most footballers will go through that at some point. I think it's probably probably unfortunate and fortunate for me at times where it's unfortunate the timing being so early and being at a season where it was really important, 16 season. And then probably fortunate for me that I learned a lesson pretty early that football, being a footballer is not just given to you. You need something else behind you and it takes a lot. In terms of conversations with your dad and stuff, did you used to get irritated by that? Or was it a kind of situation where you're like, oh, no, I'm happy to have the open and honest feedback? Um, I think in general, I think sometimes it's, it's hard to receive criticism anyway. I think even as an adult, it's, it's quite hard for someone to tell you um, you're not doing a good job. I think everyone craves that acknowledgement and craves that well done I think 
what I learned pretty early on is that you, sometimes that's that's what you need. And I know if I had a bad game, um, I think most people do. I think some of the eight-year-olds we've got here could tell you when they've had a good game, when they've had a bad game. Um, I think when it comes down to us, repetitive and you go and constantly, yeah, you've had a bad game. You've done, you didn't, should have done this. You should have done that. I think that's when it gets too much. But I think there was probably quite a, a healthy balance to begin with when I was playing. Of yeah, you weren't very good today. Let's move past it. Um, so yeah. Did you think you did you resent him for that in terms of when he was being critical, like you said? People are fully aware if you've had a good or bad game. Did you used to resent him when you kind of got in the car and he'd say to you? Yeah, I, I think there was probably more going on. When when I clashed with him, it was more when once I was coming back from my injury, where I was frustrated by everything. I was a grumpy teenager. I was frustrated by um, my injury and having that injury where as I went from doing really well to finding it really hard which was a hard concept because of this injury um, I think I resented that whole process of being injured and trying to get back I probably went into when I went into back into the under 16 season I was with different coaches and didn't really enjoy those coaches I didn't believe that they were would get the best out of me and didn't really believe in me um, so I think that whole situation was just hard and probably made the relationship driving home 45 minutes from Swindon to Bristol uh, even harder. So any comment that my dad would make, would, I would probably find it hard to deal with. So then, obviously, once you've removed from the removed from the academy, removed from football and stuff, did that like tension and stuff yeah, decrease I, a lot yeah I, it definitely did I think I I went to a college program so I wouldn't have my dad taking me to training I'd get on a bus and I'd ride my bike I'd be in the morning at 9 o'clock my dad's at work at 9 o'clock so there wasn't that constant association with my dad and football um, or my family and football in general so it was a little bit like oh How'd you get on today? Yeah, we did all right. And that was it, because he wasn't there. He didn't know about it. didn't know what was going on. Um, and then I was playing Saturday men's football, which there was a lot of other stuff going on. I probably at that time didn't really want my dad there. Um, but he had other commitments on a Saturday anyway, so it probably fell in quite nicely that I got that's eight months, nine months before I went back into academy stuff of just being able to go and play without anything else and probably I was at a level that was maybe a little bit below what I was capable of so I was doing well and I was enjoying it and I think that was probably the perfect thing that could have happened to me once I I had that injury and come out of the academy football. So I suspect that's probably not an unusual relationship in terms of kids and their parents with football in terms of that Obviously, you you went through it from the age of twelve to sixteen ish. If you look at that, yeah. How do you think that would have sculpted your relationship if that had been from say nine? If you want to go academy, or if you want to go younger than that, pre academy, possibly seven or eight. Yeah, I think what 
it shifts. I think as a teenager, you shift more to what does everyone else think, not just what your parents think. And because you're younger, that uh, constant need to please your parents is there. Whereas as a teenager, kind of don't care what they think. Um, so I think maybe a, a younger age, maybe their their behaviour would have changed a little bit because I was younger um, and they wouldn't probably demand so much of me but I think I think, I think it would have been okay because at a younger age I probably would have taken more of their advice and would have believed their opinion to be right without questioning it too much. The, the interesting dynamic I think sometimes is how do you just kind of let them know that weren't great today. I still love you. Is what it is. Yeah, I think it's um, what what the difference is between the child and the parent is the understanding of the end goal. The majority of the time, kids are aware of what they're trying to do and what they're if they're in an academy environment or whatever they're doing in this whatever sport or school or whatever, they are aware of the end goal, but they don't understand it. Parents are aware of the end goal or understand the end goal better than the kids do. I think the kids are aware of it, but they don't understand it as well as the parents do. And I think having that clarity of this is the end goal, this is, you've got to do this, this and this to get to that end goal. Parents are so aware of if you're not meeting those standards or those little goals within that, it might not happen. But you need to be getting through the process and enjoying the process otherwise it's pointless having that end goal if you end up not enjoying it um, I think the enjoying bits as a client I think that's relatable for entire life really like everyone goes oh this is my end goal this is a job I dream of and then when you get to that you're kind of like oh what now because if that's all you've worked for and then you're there you can kind of I imagine feel like a bit of a hollow thing whereas you need to enjoy like it sounds stupid enjoy doing kit away days to places that take you five hours to get to to play a game to then get five hours back and then when you get to that end bit you go actually I've got loads of really good memories and enjoyable bits and I've worked hard to get where I am so I'm going to enjoy this bit even more and I think like you said with the parents that's a really important one that trying to make the kids understand it's a real long journey particularly if you're in pre-academy all the way through not all of them are going to make it like, yeah. uh, the stats show that any program TV show that it'd be lovely if they all did and had a living in a game like I would have loved it and you would have loved it and every kid would have loved it that we work with but that isn't going to happen so trying to make that experience really enjoyable is really important trying to get so they learn stuff along the way not just in a football context but also in a yeah. person context is really important I I am was reading something recently it was a philosopher who was talking about in general in life and I, I quite liked it it was there's going to be extreme highs and extreme lows what you want to do is find yourself and find happiness somewhere in between because if you strive to always be in this extreme high you're never going to reach it because once you get to that extreme high there's still something else that might be even better and if you're trying so hard to avoid the extreme low you'll never be able to deal with it so the extreme high won't be as good so having that medium in between where you enjoy 
the process of the hard stuff and then you accept and take care of the extreme highs and take them for what they are um, probably something out the norm and then you've got that bit of happiness through the contempt period where things might not be so bad and might, might not be so great we I, I found it we played in the milk cup it's a big tournament in ireland loads of teams there you you walk out and you're 14 15 years old and you're walking around the streets of ireland and you've got crowds of thousands of people trying to get you to sign this book which has got all the team photos in so they can go and sell it in 10 years time for loads of money because you're playing Premier League Champions League football you go for this massive parade you think Jesus I'm a footballer eh? go out and play and you do well and we got we ended up getting to the semi-finals and we played in the quarter-finals against uh, Spartak and it's a massive event. There's thousands of people watching. Uh, and I scored. And at that point, on the top of the world, I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm going to be in the final here. Chelsea are going to be wanting to sign me. I'm going to be playing for England in a year. And then suddenly you get into the semi-final and we get put out on a not great pitch. There's not so many fans watching because Chelsea are playing Everton in another semi-final at the same time at a different venue. And we lose to a Mexican team, Cruz Azul, who were very good footballers, but they very much knew how to win a game of football. They were dirty, they were horrible, they dived, they did everything they could to win the game. And as a group, we got frustrated by it and our heads were gone. So we lost the game and you've gone from having, oh, I'm going to play for England to, oh, I can't even play against a Mexican team Duncan Duck United <laughs> yeah. new signing yeah. Duncan Duck from Mexico and it is well, I, I think they I don't know but Cruisers are a pretty big team over there we didn't really know they were we were 14 pretty naive man. some team from Mexico oh, we'll, we'll have these lot come on we're we're, we're a good side um, and then you have that extreme low and he's, that's, I think that few days of football that I experienced sums up football in general um, and was probably a really good lesson. I think the best teams and best players can, like, try and say to the younger ones, they can control their emotions. Uh, yeah. I had the story of Roger Federer. Um, if you look at him now, it seems like a stone cold killer. Just yeah. you wouldn't know what's affecting him. You can't tell if he's angry, if he's happy, you know, like won a tournament, whatever. But for the most part, really stone faced. As a kid, he used to smash rackets up. Yeah parents used to be to an extent where they wouldn't let him go to tournaments and stuff they said it's embarrassing on the family the fact you keep smashing rackets up yeah i couldn't couldn't believe the fact that a guy that has got that good of self-control that like now i couldn't see how he's getting on like if i just watched his face i wouldn't be able to tell you if he's winning or losing yeah as a kid was really temperamental in his actions but i think it shows you like particularly those younger ages, if you can get to a stage where you try and stump that highs and lows out and try and keep it even killed, I try and say it to that. When you win, that's great, but you, there's still stuff you need to work on. When you lose, okay, that's not great, but there's still stuff you need to work on. Yeah. If you can stay in that middle zone, that's when you're going to get performances because you realise that it's a process that they have to try and go through to get to that end goal. And that a lot of the time, it's really important that they just 
don't get too high when they do something really good. Don't get too low and that understand they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things well. It kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, the bit I want to kind of go loop back round to. So, did you cruise ship? Do you remember specific game, specific moment where you've kind of gone, this ain't right. Like someone's gone here. Like what? Yeah. So we were playing. I think we. So there was two week period of preseason. We played three games in the first week against good opposition the academy sides and then at the start of the second week we were playing some county team they we I, I never heard of them didn't know who they were and it was Monday night turn up in your training kit and we'll play a game against them we'll rattle a few past them and we'll cruise cruise this and then Monday and then we played a game on the Wednesday against I think it was Tottenham and on that Monday night I was playing and we were I played right wing which was yeah you can see by your face yeah is alien to me yeah like a young Kevin Kilbane <laughs> and I, I I was enjoying myself I was running up and down I, I think I scored one and set up one and then we played the third period and it just went went to pot everyone went oh we've smashed this lot let's have a jolly up let's cruise around and they got a couple back and we went in at at the end of that period because it was really hot and we went manager came in give us a rocket going what are you doing sort yourselves out your standards are dropping this shouldn't be happening went back into normal shape I was playing right back at the time so went right back and they came out with loads of energy again we've got them here and uh, they had a couple of chances in the first two or three minutes and then a lad who was playing centre back next to me has tried to clear a ball from about the edge of the box we were set up as a bank of four and he shanked it high up in the air we got to go and sort this out it's, they're coming back on us um, they've rat- rattled a few past us or they're getting up close to our goal so I've gone I've got to try and do something so I chased after this ball that's dropping out the air and then it's bounced rock hard ground because it's middle of August. It's bounced back up. Must have been about 12, 15 foot up in the air. And as it's coming down, I've jumped to try and head it and clear it. Lads come behind me and just give me a little nudge just to take me off balance. And so my header didn't go right back into where the striker was. And at that point, I've gone over and I just couldn't control the weight. And where I jumped with my legs spread apart, I've come down with a straight leg. So it was pretty much bone on bone, hyper extension. So my, as I, a bit like the Kurt Zuma one. Can you remember that one? Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. Backwards. So it's gone backwards on itself. Um, and the pressure of the two bones smashing together has just popped my cruise shit. Um, there was a couple of lads who I was playing with heard the pop. <laughs> I went down and was on the floor in quite a bit of pain. Um, it wasn't too bad. I'd, I'd always thought that doing your cruise shirt would be excruciating pain. Um, it wasn't too bad, but I remember someone telling me to roll off the pitch, thinking, oh, you're injured, get off the pitch. And the, the physio staff were all stood on the other side of the pitch, 
coaching staff going, yeah, just roll the pitch, you'll be all right. We'll get someone else on and then we'll come and get you around. They thought I had cramp or something like that. And then I ended up rolling on and off the pitch because people were telling me different things. The ref wouldn't stop it. So it must have been a minute or so has gone by. Um, physio's come over and straight away gone, oh, swollen up a little bit. Did the knee test where they get your knee at 90 degrees and pull it a little bit and straight away went, oh, something's not right here. Um, and walked up to the physio room where the head physio was. You walked up? Walked up, yeah. Was it just hobbled along? It was just hobbled along, yeah. Um, my dad walked round and go, what have you done? Why'd you go for that ball? I was like, well, I don't really know, to be honest. But I was trying to make up for it. So I walked up to the physio room and straight away she went, did the test again and said, um, you need to go for a scan. So after about a week or so, we tried to get it on the NHS and it was wait two months to get a scan. And in the end, we spoke to the head physio who was doing the first team at the time. He was actually there when Paolo Di Canio was there. So that was that little era. So um, she got me in to get a scan, paid for it. So I think it's about 180 quid for an MRI. Give it to the doctors at the club and straight away they went, uh, yeah, it's not great. We think it's your cruciate. I didn't know what a cruciate ligament was at the time. I said, oh, what's that? What does that mean then? Said, yeah, a couple you... of weeks, fine. A couple of weeks. I, I, I was thinking, it's just like a little knock on your knee it'd be like a couple of months or six weeks or something a bit like doing your ankle ligaments where it's like six weeks and you'll be back going you'll do a few knee exercises and you'll be all right um and then they went uh so we're gonna have to refer you to your doctor at that point i was going oh that doesn't sound too good if i'm going to the doctors about this when the physio can't sort it out it doesn't sound too good um and then i went home looked at the disc because you get it on a little CD looked, okay. at, looked at the disc on a laptop and straight away it's like a blank screen or black with a few little grains of your skin in that you see and then there was just a big tear through the middle yeah. so it looked like a big rip mark in a Finger, sheet, yeah. sheet of paper um, I went oh that must be it then so, and then found out it was knee reconstruction okay so you went in for an op Yep, went in for an op about a month and a half, two months later. And then op successful? How long, you, how long were you in for? Uh, I stayed overnight, so I was in for, I think, I went in at 11 o'clock in the morning and stayed, woke up about 3 o'clock um, in the afternoon. And, yeah, I was in overnight. Came back out uh, the next day and, yeah, I was... To be fair, I was pretty good. If there's ever a time to do it, it's probably that time. You're still young enough that you heal pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and you, I was pretty fit at the time. I was. So what did your rehab thing? You obviously gone in, come yeah, out, and then I assume can't do anything for a couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's like you're, you're walking, just about putting weight on it for a couple of weeks, and then it's a long, long rehab. Um, I did mine pretty well. I was six months, um, which is pretty good. I, it was, it was, I think it was six months and one day, um, from when I had the op to when I first went into a training session, mm-hmm. um, which, which is quick, quick, pretty quick. Um, I think it was kind of rushed through a little bit, but 
after a month or two months or so, you're starting to weight bear more and do some knee dips and stuff like that. I was quite fortunate at the time. The academy manager and my coach pushed for me to be supported a little bit. And I had the first team physio working with me, first team strength and conditioning coach working with me, um, which Decanio wasn't too happy about and didn't like me. And I was this 14, 15 year old doing in the, in the first team village. And why is she doing that with him? But, um, yeah, they were really good and supported me with that. Um, so it was a long hour process of do like a month of running figures of eight slightly tighter slightly tight uh every week and it's like yeah it's mind numbing frustrating but this is what it is did you see the cameo a lot uh yeah so it was it was strange so he so it's at the time where he came in and i don't know if you know a lot about what happened there but he did pretty well um with the team but basically brought in all italians and <laughs> uh, turned the club upside down really um, at one point when he came in he said academy no I don't want one of those get rid of it um, and then all academy players staff were banned from being at the training ground at the same time as the first team um, which made things quite challenging and I think in the end he had bigger things to worry about um, because they started off not doing so well and then we're doing well and then not so well again so I think he kind of relaxed a little bit on that um, was around him a little bit he spoke most of his sessions were in Italian uh, okay. when I was there anyway from what I saw he was a big name and a big presence in Swindon don't think he really wanted to be there but it was a stepping stone for him um, was his next club Sunderland did he go from yeah. Sunderland yeah he's definitely a character I think the difficulty he would have is going from being such a great player to coaching lads who are league, league one championship players at the time who have nowhere near the amount of ability he had and it's how do you coach them to win football matches luckily they chucked a bit of money into it so he had a few better players but I think he he was very frustrated at that point Hoddle, I think, had the same thing at Tottenham. Yeah, and Hoddle, Hoddle was at Swindon Town as well, wasn't he? Yeah, so a similar similar story. Well, man, regularly you scoring about how good a player it was his passing range. You hear about it from all the other pros that are on TVs and stuff. So I think it's, it's a it's a strange concept to assume because you were a good player, you will be a good coach. Um, I think there's some great lessons and values you learn as being a play- from being a player that relate to coaching but you go you c- there's it's not a hard and fast rule and I think what you get is coaches who are coaches and are learners of the game probably understand people and understand the process more whereas ex players understand what it takes they understand the environment and they as long as they're understanding and they work during their career they they are they understand the game and tactics pretty well but there's two polar opposites and I don't think you can just assume because you've played the game you can coach the game Uh, and I think that's probably where some guys like that 
find the difficulty. I think like someone who got a lot of acclaim for what they did was Frank Lampard when he's gone to Derby took Jody Morris with him. Yeah. And Jody Morris has done obviously a long stint in the youth and academy ranks at Chelsea and stuff. I would say a real astute hire on the principle that Frank Lampard probably has a great name in terms yeah. of being able to attract players and stuff which he's done and people on loan. I'd also say like you said he's like in terms of ability how to win yeah. and ideas he's probably worked around some of the best coaches yeah. in the world so probably has some really good and astute tactical ideas in terms of like oh, I want my 10 to do pick up this pocket or yeah. I want my four and eight to do this rotation to get on the football and stuff in terms of experiences behind going in and coaching on a day-to-day basis he doesn't have that yeah he doesn't have the experience of that like that you'll have coaches some like coaches that will retire from playing at 20 Lampard retired around 40 they'd have 20 years experience yeah. in that. even if he was coaching part time for 5 years that's an extra 15 years experience where they go well, actually I need to tweak the session tweak the session like this or like that where Jody Morris will have those experiences that although he played he would have spent a bit longer working his way through that so I think the two of them together is probably a real yeah I think that's that's really. probably a perfect balance if you can have someone with extensive playing experience at the top level and then someone with coaching experience at the top level, that's that's a happy happy medium. Yeah. So in terms of what you said, you done your cruise ship, you obviously left, and you said you went to college now. Obviously from me knowing you, I know that you went to Filton College, which yeah. is over in Bristol, now called SGS, um, and then kind of moved on after that. What was that like in terms of, like you said, you moved away not moved away from home, but spending more time going in every day, obviously be education every day, football every day and all that type of stuff. How did you find that transition? I, into- I, I loved it. I think that transition from going from in school where you need to be here at this time, you need to be here at this time and there'll be a teacher there ringing a the bell, pushing you along, making sure you're doing what you're doing. So suddenly you've gone, here's a bit more responsibility. You've got to sort yourself out. You've got to get to college on time. You've got to plan getting the bus at the right time so you can get to training on time. You've got to plan how you're going to eat that that day. You're going to plan how you're going to get to your lesson, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You play football for two hours in the morning, go to lesson in the afternoon. At the time, I was working as well, so I wanted to earn a bit of money. So it, I was quite fortunate that Filton, there's also um, goals, five-side courts there. So I used to referee on the night there so I just spend hours and hours around that college but it was what I needed at that point it was a reasonably good level playing pretty much full-time football which helped me get back fit and enjoying it um, was at a level that college football was pretty comfortable with and being a younger one was still playing a uh, good standard and then playing men's football as well you kind of got that other experience of right we need to win we're going to win this and we're having that competitive edge as well so in terms of coaching staff when you went into Filton who was he coaching at the time uh, so I had a mixture I had Simon Payne's Bill Meehan and Alex Ball um, just different coaches um, Alex Ball was was good for me he actually played at times with me um, so having someone like him who was more 
say a younger academy coach in terms of mentality at that point um, he helped me enjoy football and enjoy the fo- having the football with me I think there was a little bit of disparity between someone who wanted the centre half to get on the ball and get the ball at the pitch or someone who wanted the centre half to get the ball and look to play look to draw players to the ball and then move it forward if you can do you think having a coach like um, Alex helped your enjoyment of football in terms of when from you were saying before in the schoolboy stuff getting to stage it's quite not hard work but maybe the enjoyment level's not there and stuff do you think that was part of the reason why yeah 100% I think it was a weird one I, I didn't spend too much time being directly coached by Alex but because he was in and around it, there was a little bit more relief and acceptance. Probably someone fighting your corner a little bit of, ah, as a centre-back, as a right-back, they, they should get on the football. They should want want the ball, um, which you kind of kept that style of play that was probably associated with the college at that time and was associated with how they want to play. Um, I think without him in that group, it could have been shifted to cable play route one stuff and really try and work them that way and see what we can nick. Where it wasn't really our style. We played at the time, it was uh, Bristol Academy Women's, who are now Bristol City Women's. We were playing on their stadium pitch. So on a Saturday, when they weren't playing, we'd play on the pitch, which was like a carpet. And then you go and play local South Mead away which is like an absolute cow field and the difference in the two is at home we want to play and we used to we must have had 80% possession most of the time but we'd win 2-1 because they'd nick one from a corner and we'd be panicking for the last 20 minutes of the game because most of them were 16 with a couple older heads like Alex Ball playing um, a a couple of third years but other than that we were a an under-18s team player men's football um, but we did pretty well we had some tough games but we did pretty well we, I think we came second in the end but didn't quite go up so yeah, it was it was an enjoyable experience for me Okay so how long were you at Filton for? Uh, pretty much a season um, so I did a season there and then I had the opportunity to come into the Southampton set up um, for a year training out of Bath which what drew you to that? Um, professionalism, I think. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to go at that point. I was again got the education side of things. It needs to be done because I realised my injury. If I had something like that again, which could happen, I jumped for a ball and tore my cruciate. I jumped for a ball thirty, forty times a game. So it could happen straight away. I need to get, yeah, yeah. I can't leave Jesus. <laughs> but it was one, of, yeah, it was one of those that I wanted the education sorted. And in the end, um, Matty Hell, who was academy manager here at the time, sorted it out for me and came in. And it was professional setup. It was academy football playing uh, slightly higher level and playing academy teams regularly and training regularly here and yeah it's, it was a more professional setup and I thought why not let's give it one last hurrah I felt once before it's worth a go again 
so obviously come in first I'm going to say first day because first day don't really know what's going on you're just doing so first couple of weeks come into the setup um, what do you notice I think straight away I probably whereas when I was at Filton there was three squads there was the first team made up of a lot of third years of college, so 19 year olds who are in their last year of college who are wanting to win something, who are doing, the, doing that side of things. And then there was a few first years and second years in that group, but it was largely made up of the older boys. Um, and then there was a second team who were good footballers, but first, first years, so weren't quite at that level to step up next. Probably a few of them filled in now and then. And then there was a third team who were Money makers, really, I think. So they got the college a bit of money for, for turning up and signing on. Um, so there was a huge number of players. We must have had 70 boys on the football program. So constantly you're with 70 lads in training all the time. Um, whereas when I came to the Southampton setup, it was 15, 16 lads, all of that same level, sort of looking towards stepping up of similar age. Um, the professionalism that came with it, with the coaches that we had, and obviously so Matt. Who did you have at the time? So Matt started off with us, and then we had Danny May and Lee Smith. Um, straight away, there was huge expectation in behaviour and um, standards and work rate for one. I think we. Every time we go, Danny's taking a session. All right, I'll take my runners out with me. Plenty of water <laughs> because it's you lose forfeits, things like that. I think it up the standards a little bit. Um, whereas if they did it at Filton, I think the majority of lads wouldn't have bought into that. So, so you got that professionalism there. In terms of level of players, do you think there's a great disparity? There's very minor differences. I think. There's always something. There's it's either something like a physical deficiency at that level. There's a commitment issue. There's behaviour issue. There's injury problems. Something like that. That there's a reason why those boys are up playing for Filton, not in the academy setup, or maybe a bit of bad luck, or their style of play doesn't suit League Two football. Um, so you end up with good players playing in it. But the difference between being in a club and having the support network around it probably makes the gap a little bit bigger. Um, but what I will say is, as long as those boys in the clubs are playing games, the gap will get bigger. Whereas if they're not playing, suddenly the gap gets a lot smaller. Because I think that's a, it's a big time that you learn how to play proper football, not learn how to keep the ball, how to do those sort of things. You learn how to go and win games and how to deal with a lad who's 10 years older than you that you've never played against before, trying to intimidate you, trying to smash into you every tackle you get and really test you physically as well as mentally. Did you ever play with Whitey, Ben White? Yeah. He's, for me, he's a real, like... He's a really good sign of... That there are very good players out in that college system yeah. that surprise me that they're not in academy setups. Because for me, Whitey has probably pretty much everything you need as a centre half. He's got a little bit of an edge to him. 
played a lot of right back as well, didn't he? Yeah. So he's decent on the ball. Yeah. Athletically, quite good. I'd probably say he could have done with maybe packing on a few gym sessions. Yeah. But he also had a bit of an edge to him, which for like non, non-league non centre arse or whatever he needed. Yeah. He's always one that I would have thought, if I was a, say I was an under-18s manager academy, and we'd gone, we're going to play Filton in a friendly, it'll be a good, like, good game for us. If I'd seen him, I'd have been like, hold on, why... Why? Why is he? Where's he come from? Can we not get him in trial? Can we not do this? It surprised me that doesn't happen more. I think it's um, especially with league lower league clubs, it's a big risk. Not a lot of clubs are willing to do that. I don't think. So, so you you work in a college at the moment, um, alongside the Saints stuff. Yeah. Would you say from the teams that you've played? Against, because I imagine you have played a couple of academy teams. Yeah. Obviously, with recently, because you're not that old, you're not that yeah. old, thing. Would you say you've got lads in your setup that you think would actually be capable of going into the academy and doing quite well? Yeah, I think there's. It's it's a funny one. What we've we've got is um, a group of boys who are. I, th- I say it a lot. If you can make a couple of five side teams out of them. They'd smash everyone. They'd be brilliant. They'd be winning goals, cup in the north, the south, everywhere. But they struggle in eleven-side football for for a couple of reasons. Really, some of them have never been coached, so don't understand the game. They understand what happens when I get the ball when I'm in front of you, um, and they understand right the goal was there. I need to get the ball there. I might use him to get me on the ball in a different, different area. But they don't understand the concept of the tactical side of the game about drawing people to the ball, um, moving the ball into an area to get it somewhere else. They don't, they don't see the purpose in that. They see if I put the ball there, well, I expect to be attacking from there. Um, and on the flip side, they don't understand that discipline in their shape and their roles and responsibilities in how to defend. Um, there's some brilliant footballers there, technically brilliant footballers. From what I've seen of it, there's a, a couple that, given the opportunity, could go in and really excel. Um, but they need a lot of work. And it's, if someone's willing to give them that chance and if they're willing to, to do it, um, and take all the ego side of things out of it. Yeah, I'm in this fancy tracksuit for whatever a club it may be, and I'm going to put pictures on Instagram and do all that side of things. But are they going to be learning? Are they going to be going and doing the extra little bit to catch up? Which is which is where their their challenge lies because they're not they don't understand the game like a lot of the current academy boys will. I think that's. Probably something that's not just like this region, it's nationwide. Yeah. I'd imagine there are a lot of very good players. You know, the classic example at the moment is Vardy plays non league football, comes yeah. all the way through. There's loads of people that have done that all the way through. I think it's probably easier for strikers because when you score goals, people take notice. I I think that there is a place for those players, like college players, to go into academy programs. But like I said, I think the problem is, is the game understanding bit is where it becomes difficult to know what, like what standard they're at and how much can they learn slash are willing to learn slash 
are willing to put in the extra hours to learn yeah. in order to catch that up. I think the challenge that they've got is they need to be playing a good level non-league football. So they need to have that competitive side of things of learning men's football and having still having that element of college football where they get to play properly in terms of they get to play like trying to keep the ball and not playing on cow fields and that sort of thing. Um, so if they're playing that level, they probably don't get any tactical understanding or extra bits of information that may help, help them that way. Um, but then if they're just playing college football, they don't get the general understanding and playing within their own age group, really, where they can experiment and and enjoy the football, really. Okay, so I've got I've got opinions on this age group that would be interesting to hear your thoughts on. Um, and I know it's a path that both of us have taken at different times. University football, um, and then came to the University of Bath and played there as part of the performance program. Now, obviously, for some people that don't know, it's quite a lot of different. Um, programs up and down the country you've got Hartbury's a good one uh, University of South Wales is good Swansea Durham Loughborough obviously Bath Stirling um, all that have full-time daily training programs in and around the university degrees of some sort what are your feelings on the current state of university football and how what's its purpose essentially do you think I think it should be, the purpose should be giving players an opportunity who have maybe failed at football in terms of failed to progress into professional clubs, um, an opportunity to educate themselves to a higher level, which will give them the opportunity to work outside of playing. I think having that network where they are educated enough that they can use their experience of being involved in that elite environment, um, but then go and earn something out of it. And then you're looking at, is there an opportunity for them to do what they enjoy in the similar environment and progress possibly to going back into the game as whether that's through non-league football, whether that's through, getting a trial and going into the straight back into the elite setup. So obviously you've got kind of two transitions there. One is, I guess, academic based in terms of making sure you've got qualifications. Obviously the degree is always helpful. Yeah. I think it's the degree as much as it's not helpful in some sports jobs, you don't need a degree to do the job. I think the experience of having to put your knowledge down on paper in a readable and purposeful way is just a skill in general, not just, you're not just writing an essay, you're being able to understand your own opinion, draw from other people's and give a justified argument. So it's interesting, you're obviously talking about skills and being able to collate opinions and knowledge and stuff and put that together. Um, which again, is kind of secondary to the qualification 
are there any other challenges or skills that you picked up at uni that you don't think you would got just by going in maybe as a you know, working in a sports centre or or something like that? I, th- I think what, in terms of the career I've chosen in terms of coaching football, I think what the degree has given me is a knowledge outside of football in general because you go in and you say, okay, I'll take my level one, level two, B license, A license, whatever. You learn what football people think about football. Whereas at university, you get to see loads of different experiences. In my class, there was rugby players, netballers, um, horse riders, swimmers, hockey players, um, ski jumper. So loads of different sports where they all have a different experience, which is the same, but very different as well. Um, and then whatever you learn and whatever your topic is, isn't always specific to football, but what you would write about is probably specific to football. So it's just trying to relate all those different environments to what you're currently in. Have you got any... Um got any like examples of that or any anything you've picked up from a different sport and you've gone actually why do we do that in football why is that the the way if you like um i think it, you get a lot of what i've seen the difference between some of the individual sports um and football in general is is so much different because the individuals, they go and they'll go in a swimming pool for three hours on their own. There won't be a coach in sight. Or, and then they'll have one session a week where the coach is over there going, stop, start. Okay, yeah, that's your time. You're not quite there yet. See you later. And whereas football is all about opinions, you could have one coach who comes watching play and goes, he's the best player I've ever seen. The other one goes... I ain't having him. I wouldn't start him over a one-legged player, and that difference between opinion and facts of that's your time, that's what you get. Is I I find bizarre, um, and I don't know how in terms of mentality, footballers would deal with that. Someone just coming in being really blunt and going, "You're not up to it. See you later." Number nine, you you've scored ten goals this season. Now we require. 15 goals a season. See you later. It's interesting. I listened to an audio book. It's called The Cubs Way. It's um, quite a long one. It's about Chicago Cubs baseball team um, and how they broke a, it's like a 100 year curse of them not winning like national yeah. American thing. In that, there's a paragraph where a player comes in who's a player who, a former player comes in as a coach and um, starts reading reviews of himself, so like scout reports on himself, and his immediate thing was, why did no one ever tell me to work on that stuff? Because if you told me, yeah. I would have gone and worked on it and got better. So it's really interesting. You bring up the fact that, like, as a striker, so I'm trying to think of someone, someone like Heskey. So everyone would think with Heskey was, don't score enough goals. Yeah. So that got portrayed by the media because he was an England player and stuff but how many people up and down the country is there that they go actually he doesn't put the goal ball in the back of the net yeah. and go you're not playing for me because 
you don't put the ball in the back of the net enough. What would a response to a player like you're saying? Yeah. What would the response to that be? It's, it, it's. I just find it fascinating how it's so black and white. Whereas we sit down and if we're talking about a player, we sit in here and we have an audit process. There's eight different people. There's sports science department. There's everything else, psychology, and you go. This is what I think of this player. And then everyone at some point comes to some agreement of the majority what they think. Whereas you go, you sit down, you're Team GB swimming. Okay, who do we pick? Right, who's run, who's swam the best times this this season? Okay, him, him, him. All right, we're done. <laughs> I, that, that, obviously, there's more, more to it than that. But on the face of it, it's who's best. But is it, yeah, I think to insult anyone, yeah. I think there is a point in which you do turn around and say, like, if you haven't got the qualifying standards, you're not involved. Yeah. Not, oh, you might have great potential in four years' time. Well, we'll see in four years' time. He's not yeah. going to be running for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I do think the football uh, as an industry does need to look outside in terms of stuff we can pick up. More, obviously, more stuff than the national team, got them more playing, all that type of stuff. But I think there's a lot of. I, I, what I will say, I think we are beginning to wake up a little bit. I think um, if you look at qualifications like ECAS, where they try and get different sports to come in and speak yeah. to them, I think that, that's been a real benefit for the people I've heard that have been on that. I think if you look at some CPD events now, um, both internally and externally, they have guest speakers from different sports that yeah. come away and go, actually, yeah, there's, there's something to that, there's something I can take away from that. It's, um, it's a real strange industry. You, there's some brilliant people working in really good jobs there's some brilliant people working in really they're probably nowhere near the credit they deserve there's grassroots football or professional football but also on the flip side there's some really bad people in good level jobs or doing important jobs which probably don't perform to the way they should yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that it's interesting there. I guess a lot of it comes down to trust, particularly at the top end. And I kind of, I do to understand to a point why people bring in their own. But in terms of obviously where you're at now, you come through Bath Uni, obviously learned those skills. Um, ones that I probably learned, like your timekeeping, yeah. like cooking, which I think is a great <laughs> life experience. Like, yeah, I'm not a great cook, to be honest. My missus will tell you that. But yeah, but no, I think like being away from home, I think that's a really important one. Like, I wonder how often we help our players in terms of those skills. And like, I think it's just, it's just responsibility, or responsibility for yourself. And even if simple things like, okay, you got to make sure you've packed your notepad for your lecture. You've got to make sure you packed a towel, your football kit, change of clothes, shin pads, boots, whatever you need. You've got to prep probably understand what point can I get food so I'm preparing right for the game for the training how can I recover how can I get enough sleep when can I fit that in am I going to have time to go and enjoy the sunshine go and have a laugh with my mates am I going to have time to crack on with my work and it's just self-management not necessarily general organisation and timings and stuff it's just being responsible for yourself and I think like 
when you hear a lot of older players talk about it and they say about how they've had to, when they've realised that as they got later, that actually the importance of managing themselves and maybe doing the extra bits and uh, like Ryan Giggs is famous for his yoga or that type yeah. of stuff. I wonder sometimes with the younger ones, because we do aid and enable them so much, do a lot for them, which is great in terms of them allowing them to focus. Yeah. Are we taking away that edge of, actually, you've got to have some accountability for having your passport. Yeah. You've got to have some accountability for, you know, making sure that your kit bag is ready for a thing. If you're going to lessons, you've got to make sure that you've got all those things. Granted, at 18, you don't know all the answers, but you're at an age where you can be held accountable for the stuff that you do. Um, I was speaking to Ian Brunchweiler, or Brunch here, as we know him, um, which I'm hoping at some point I'll get a chance to talk to him on here. And he was telling me a story about um, him being over in the West Indies with like the development team. And um, they said, if you don't bring your water bottles down tomorrow, um, because it's going to be roasting, you can't play. You're not going to be a starting 11. And so what happened? Someone turns up who they were expecting to start the following day, forgot his water bottle, couldn't play. Yeah. Which, like... It's, 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 it's funny it, that. We um, talked about the milk cup earlier. We... I remember it's, it seems bizarre now like looking back I can't believe we did it but we the, I don't know what was going through our heads we were leading up to the quarter final where we did really well we decided that we'd get everyone together because we were staying in like university halls so there was like a living room and a kitchen uh, across about four floors coaches and physios were staying down in the bottom floors and we were up up top in the other corner of the um, little section where we were and we decided do you know what we'll, we'll get everyone together whole 16 man squad who's there um, we'll have a Royal Rumble <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get all the sofas in we'll make a little ring we'll have a Royal Rumble yeah. for those who don't know there's a basic massive fight massive ma- fight yeah. massive fight and we're like okay but when can we do it Oh, we can't do it too early. Coaches will still be up and they'll be around and they'll probably hear us. See what? We'll do it at 12 o'clock at night when they've all gone to bed. So we've gone, everyone in, let's all have a massive scrap. And one of them has nearly lost his jewel because someone's roundhouse kicked him in the face. And you're thinking, at that point, as a 14, 15 year old, you probably know better, but you can't understand or manage yourself because that temptation is too much because a Royal Rumble it was great fun but you, you can't get yourself up out of that mentality where you're like oh that would be great and there's no going right I need to prepare for next day probably going to bed at one o'clock after an hour of a Royal Rumble maybe not the best idea we did alright but that's the thing about that is it's like you appreciate now a little bit older, probably not the best preparation. <laughs> At the time, you probably realised that, but your actions didn't reflect that. Yeah. But the importance of like assisting older players in that journey, I think, is really important because yeah. they're not going to make all the right decisions. Like I look back to when I was eighteen, moron, absolute idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm glad that the like Brexit vote and stuff wasn't when I was eighteen because I like probably would not have bothered voting and would have regretted it because yeah. I was an idiot. I was an idiot at 18 years of age. But 
you learn and with the assistance of the people around you I was quite fortunate I had really good family grounding and stuff and obviously came here so I had some really good friends and that really enabled me to kind of make better decisions more often yeah and that's what you want from the that's what you want from the younger pros and younger things is to make be held more accountable and make better decisions more often yeah. and that's not just off the pitch uh, on the pitch that's off the pitch so if we can find ways of holding them more accountable off of it my guess is that they'll have be more willing to be accountable on it as well yeah definitely um so yeah i mean i love the fact you had a war run with me. <laughs> probably not the best thing the coaches would have run <laughs> well, but yeah i think that's something really important for those for those guys at that age group to try and get thing where we support them but they are held accountable for a little bit more than they are at the moment. I think that's yeah, something at uni you do learn. Um, there's obviously massive negatives towards it and stuff. Your front, you've come through University of Bath, played there, trained there and stuff. Um, obviously started off development centres at Southampton. Yeah. Worked your way through into kind of the academy here. Obviously doing your bit of St. Brendan's um, in terms of your college stuff. Your future, what does that look like? Or what would you like that to look like? Um, I think in terms of my career, my future hopefully lies in football. I think it's what I know and it's what I enjoy. So to what degree that is, I don't know. I think my route, probably coaching, I think. But now nowadays, you don't make a career or you don't have a job as just a coach it's all the other stuff that goes along with it the admin side of things and organisation leadership side of things um, but coaching would be my main drive I think probably for me I, I've i been fortunate enough to do a mixture of age groups I probably see myself my next challenge in terms of what I'd want to do next and what I feel would help me develop but also where I'd be good is probably slightly older age groups um, whether that's years time whether that's two years three years four years I don't know um, but I think around probably 11 to 16 would be where I would feel I'd have a good impact and what I'd want to do really yeah I think it's difficult. I the college program stuff is brilliant. Uh, working under eighteen staff is really good. At this point, I don't think I'm probably ready for an under 18s academy job. Um, I don't feel I'm, I've got as far enough into my journey to warrant that. I don't think so. Having that age group between probably 11s and 16s is where I would what I would like to go. Yeah, I think. It's- it's, it's, it's finding that balance in it between what where you want to be and uh, everyone says that having aim five or two five ten years time whatever yeah. what's a challenge to you now because stuff can get tedious if you do yeah. the same thing over and over again um, and like enjoying yourself I think one thing the football industry probably needs to get better at is having that work life balance oh yeah definitely it's, it's we said it before but in general, if you want to go into football, you're not going in there to make loads of money and have a pretty easy career. It's going to be tough slog. And 
it's going to take a lot of hard work and commitment to get to anywhere near a comfortable role or probably a role that you feel is satisfying and you enjoy um, regularly. I think I started off doing stuff. I've done under fives grassroots football and I still do a little bit of it now. I run my own little thing doing under fives and it it is good and <laughs> it's it's crazy at times and you think the variety that I've got going from under fives to under 18s to under 8s to under 12s, 13s, 14s it's crazy how much you can fit into one week but there's good bits from all of it um, it's just finding out where where you can get that enjoyment from I think what's good about that and I think obviously we've both done similar in terms of doing school visits and doing yeah. coaching and all that is we talk about 10,000 hours with the kids that's kind of our acclimatisation of 10,000 hours accumulation of 10,000 hours sorry that's how we're getting our 10,000 hours in so it's not necessarily always going to be right at the very top level yeah. oh, I'll get 10,000 hours there it's actually like learning how to manage a group learning mm. how to adapt a session plan when you've planned for 12 and 11 turn up and you're like oh, bloody hell like, yeah. all I need is one more is, is Jimmy not coming he's like no he's ill tonight oh, I've got to leave early as well, well cheers then <laughs> but it's like all yeah. those skills what I find is it's good you almost check in with yourself and I do stuff with the under fives and I go do you want buzz off that why don't I just do that with my under 14s yeah. Like, still kids, <laughs> still football. Like, let's see what see what happens. And I never blame it. Ninety nine percent of the boys want to go there and enjoy playing football. And if you can get an environment where they work hard and learn a few bits alongside that, and happy days. There's not there's not a great difference between an under five and a under eighteen. As soon as you leave the balls out, they'll soon be smashing them around and. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, you, I told my under 18s off for uh, looking, not looking at me, sitting down, lying down when I'm talking, the, like just little stuff like that. And you go, oh yeah, I'm over the under fives, and they're doing that as well. Yeah. There's, there's same thing as football. They all love numbers game. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you get, they do it very yeah, often, they, they, but they all love the numbers they, game. They, they all love competitive. Yeah. As soon as you put a score on it. They love it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, and again, we'll round this up now. Um, in terms of best player or person that you've played with or against and the reason why. I'm not going to say Michael Wright, I'm afraid. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't searching for that one, so we're fine. I don't forget who we'll be saying that. Best player. Um, I don't, so if I capture a moment in time, it's when I was playing for a even athletic that we spoke about um, the lad who I was playing with at the time Callum Evans um, there was him and Rhys Pennell who were two lads who were polar opposites both very good footballers Rhys was an absolute maverick technically or unbelievable like would pull the ball out of the sky flick it over someone's head and then smash it in top corner um and at 10, 11 years old, watching him do that, he was unbelievable. Um, 
Callum Evans was rapid, real workhorse, technically really good. One went to Man United, one went to Bristol Rovers, one drinks in the pub on a Saturday afternoon, one had a few injuries and is playing for Rotherham or something like that now. But at that moment in time, I haven't seen many footballers that were as good as him. That's both of them, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go with those two as 10-year-olds, but <laughs> there's probably better footballers than them now. <laughs> but, yeah, there, there was a big gap between those. Those are the two that you remember, that's one. Yeah. It's, I think I just remember going, Jesus, they're good, aren't they? <laughs> like, they're good. Um, but, yeah, I've... Yeah, when I was at Swindon, I played against Loftus Cheek and some of those boys, and yeah, I chased shadows for <laughs> for an hour and a half. But those are the two that probably stick out. But, yeah, Brits, thank you very much for your time, mate. No worries, thanks for having me. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.